Welcome to Brains, a podcast exploring the inner workings of our brains and how film and television portray them. Hosted by me, film and television editor, Sarah Taylor. And by me, writer-director, Heather Taylor. Before we begin, we want to acknowledge the lands from which we recorded this podcast and from where you were listening are part of territories that have long served as a gathering place for diverse Indigenous peoples. And we are thankful, as guests on this land, to be able to live, work, and gather here together. We continue to learn about the history that came before us and encourage you to do the same. Today is the episode you've all been waiting for. ADHD. Yes, I know, I know, I know, but I'm glad we waited for the perfect guest. So our guest, Rach Idawu, was diagnosed with ADHD combined type on January 2020 at the age of 26. Shortly after her diagnosis, she decided to start her adulting ADHD Substack newsletter to document her own personal experience. Rach has been featured in the New York Times, BBC, Stylist, and Mashable, among others. The way that I discovered her is that she created flashcards to help adults with ADHD learn more about ADHD traits including coping strategies. We discussed the long road to Rachel's ADHD diagnosis and what it meant for her, the impact of ADHD stigmas on getting the help you need, and what kind of accommodations you can ask for in the workplace. We also talked about the representation of ADHD in films like Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, and the TV show Grey's Anatomy. A quick reminder to our listeners that this interview should not be taken as medical advice and is for informational purposes only. Because everyone's brain is different, please consult your healthcare professional if you have any questions. And now, reach. Hello, Rach. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, super excited. We're going to start off with the biggest question of all. Okay. Tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> uh, this is such like, you know, it's like such a broad question. You're like, where to start? Okay, so let me give it a try. My name is Rachel Doe. Um, I'm from the UK, London specifically. Um, I'm 29 and I was diagnosed with ADHD combined type at the age of 26. Since then, I've been writing about ADHD, um, going by the name Adulting ADHD across social platforms. I like gaming, anime, um, learning how to code, a bunch of stuff. So yeah, excited to be here and chop it up with both of you. Amazing. I love that you are learning how to code. That's so cool. Thank you. Yeah, a couple of years now, but yeah, it's still going. It's a whole other language. It's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. So can I ask you, what is ADHD and um, how does it present for you? Yeah, so essentially ADHD is a neurodevelopmental disorder um, that can have an impact on um, the way you behave. Um, and just your day-to-day -day lifestyle. Um, and so there are three types of ADHD. There is the inattentive type, which presents in ways such as like not being able to pay attention to detail, um, difficulty concentra concentrating, for example. And then there's the hyperactive impulsive type, um, which is like restlessness and patience and a few other traits. And then there's the combined type, which of course is both of them together, which is what I have. And so I experience most of the traits on both sides. <laughs> And like as a kid, um, I was a lot more hyperactive than I was um, inattentive. So in school, I'd be super re restless. I would just get up and walk across the classroom. I'd interrupt. I'd blurt out answers. Um, in adulthood, it manifests of being very impulsive and impatient. So making really bad investments or just jumping the gun on things. Um, and then um, on the inattentive front, I think it's more so in my work life, um, just missing things when you're writing important documents, emails. 
forgetting to like unsubscribe to things a bunch of things um so those are some examples that I can think of off the top of my head (laughs) yeah for sure so what has the effect of having this diagnosis as an adult like how's that changed how you move in the world yeah so I'd say it changed a lot so initially I thought I had early onset dementia right um so really early uh, (laughs) yeah exactly and this was at 24 so I thought I had this at 24 so this was like 2016 um I'm sure I've probably miscalculated my age but I think I've got this cap here but that's another story for another day (laughs) (laughs) yeah I thought I had early onset dementia because I was just like forgetting things um little things would drop out I'd be like a bit all over the place and I had no idea what it was and back then I thought only boys could have ADHD as many people Mm, do growing up um so I would google like memory loss at a young age and then of course I see early onset dementia and I'm like okay maybe it's this and I go to my GP and I say, well, I think I've got early onset dementia. And she's like, no, you don't. And I was like, no, something's wrong. <laughs> uh, and we do like this memory test. And she said, I'm going to give you seven words. You have to repeat it backwards. And it was things like cat, boat, shoe, like just obviously words I'm going to remember. So I do it. And she's like, OK, you're like, fine. You're probably just disoriented. You've traveled um a bunch and then I leave two years later I'm back and saying look I think it's ADHD I've done these online tests this is how I was in childhood adulthood gave examples Mm -hmm. and she said well I don't think you could have ADHD because you've graduated university you've got a job and I have a patient that has ADHD and you're not like them so (laughs) it's like the battle of trying to get referred to a psychiatrist right I win that battle and then a year and six months later I get diagnosed with ADHD and ADHD combined type so I was more I'm not saying like more ADHD when I when I started the process I thought maybe I could have it or maybe I could just be inattentive but then to like be diagnosed with combined type I'm like well okay it's more than more traits than I thought I'd, 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 I'd have so in the moment I felt relieved because I could you know officially put um, a finger on what it is that I had from starting with I think I have early onset dementia to being diagnosed with ADHD it's you know it's massive and it just opened up an avenue for me to just explore this further to kind of understand myself better and to just unpick um, how you know the things I've struggled with in the last couple of years why it is that I struggled with it and how I can avoid certain things moving forward and then I started medication that day and it's just been so instrumental to my life. Um, it's just down from being better able to kind of like maintain friendships and like um, relationships and just better communication. It's just helps me develop as a person. And I no longer, I'm not as anxious as I was when I wasn't diagnosed because I've got the help and support and treatment that comes with um, being diagnosed with ADHD. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, I know that I felt grief as well when I was Mm -hmm. diagnosed. The idea of like the things that could have, or all those things that I started to realize were related to ADHD. Did you feel the same kind of way when you had your diagnosis and you kind of started looking back on your life? Yeah, for sure. It was more of like, damn, I wish I knew earlier. If I had known this wouldn't have happened or I would have done something better. Or it's just like, I was just reflecting like, how was this mess? Because I showed all of the, most of the signs at like the school age. So like from the ages of I think like 10 to like 15, 16, I even had a school counselor because I would fidget, I was restless. Um, I was just so impulsive and I had to sit with a school counselor um, for some time. So it was just like, what's going on here? Where's the disconnect from? I'm displaying these, you know, traits and just not like people realizing it's ADHD. 
Um, so yeah, definitely I did have like a kind of a, a grieving process. And again, at the time I had no one to speak to about it. Now going on for the idea of undiagnosed ADHD, we have the film Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yes. ADHD is never named, but one of the writers, Daniel Kwan, did say that writing the film led him to be diagnosed with ADHD. So how do you think this representation of undiagnosed ADHD in this film impacts how people think about it? Yeah, it's amazing because it's it's so funny. So when I first watched it, I was in the aeroplane and so much was going on. So, you know, with the ADHD brain, it's, it's hard to just concentrate whilst watching a movie, let alone a movie with just like a multiverse with so many different universes. So I was just like, I have to come back to this. Like, this is not like the time to watch it. But funnily enough, I would see people on Twitter tweeting about Evelyn character. She has ADHD or I see so many different ADHD traits throughout the movie. I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to watch it again. And I can see his vision, right? It's like one of the most creative movies that I've seen in the past 10 years. Um, just a different like multiverses, a different parallel, so many things different going on and you think about the ADHD brain where you know we can have this conversation we're going to go down so many different tangents um our brains think about so many different thoughts at once and I feel like I saw that through the movie um so that creativity like come out it was beautiful and um I love that it started a conversation about you know ADHD in the the movie and TV industry there are so many creatives and um, like yourself Heather as well in the industry and pulling out so much work and there's an audience that are, you know, that can see it, that are, that find it relatable and connecting to it. And so it's nice that, this, you know, these conversations are, are happening. I think it's interesting. I think it also depends on what time you see it. And I saw it last year and I remember the line when Evelyn was told, you are the worst version of yourself. I like yeah. cried and I was like, I don't know if this film, I think I was angry at the film for making it a, okay. about the thing that I already felt about myself. Mm. Yeah. I see that. But it was that thing where it just, I grabbed onto that line because that's how I was feeling. And I was like, oh my God, like I wish to be the best version of myself. So like, how did you feel? I just feel like I always root for the underdog and I definitely see where you're coming from because I felt that, but I just love that she was just like, fuck it, I'm going to boss her. I'm going to sort this out. And in the end, like she reigned supreme. Um, so I like that on the flip side, but then um, I actually did not like clock it as much as you did. So it's interesting. It's given me like some food for thought. What I was interesting is when they showed like the little picture of like, here are all the timelines that you exist in like that. I was like, that's how my brain just thinks all the time. Like yeah. when I think about story and things, I'm like, I actually, it's like that, like spider web of like all this stuff. So I was like, oh yeah, yeah. that's my brain. Exactly. Seeing yourself and also being like, I don't know if I want to see that part of myself. <laughs> I want to see like, <laughs> oh, like you feel like it was a mirror. Yeah, it's like when you are confronted with what is con what you are calling your worst self. And yes, she gets through it, yeah. but I just felt like stuck in that moment, and so it made me feel. I, I need to watch it again because I think yeah. at that time I was going to suggest like, you should watch it again. <laughs> I was so mad at it. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's cool to see. It just give, shows you how film and television can obviously resonate differently with everybody. Yeah, I feel like it was such an ADHD movie, though. Like, if I wrote it, I'm not a writer. It would. It was like all over the place, but in a beautiful way, and it worked because it was a multiverse. You know, you, you get the stereotype of like a mad scientist just doing a bunch of things. That's kind of like what I got from him. But it was just it was beautifully delivered. I agree, and I think um, the freedom in that of him to be like of them to be say, to say this is the world 
like as I see it, all these stories, but it came together so beautifully. And I think to allow that exploration and people, you know, follow along, I think a lot of times um, I find in my work because I can see patterns so easily, I make it more and more complicated. And then people are like, well, simplify it. And I'm like, that's boring. That's boring to <laughs> yeah. me. Or I'm like, I'm like, can't you see it so easily then? Like, isn't it make it boring? And the answer is, um, to some people, no, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I I actually talked with the editor of Everything Everywhere All at Once. And um, oh, wow. it was, yeah, it actually, I'm going to pr- promote my other podcast, The Editor's Cut. Uh, it just came out today, the interview with Paul Rogers. Nice. Talking about working with the Daniels, they are so into collaborating and listening to what people need and like taking breaks. And they cut during the pandemic and you know, Paul had a young kid and like the Daniels would meet him at the park and they'd talk about story. So wow. it's almost like they are what we talk about on the show about disability and mental health and inclusiveness. They they were embodying that in how they treated their crew when they created the movie. So I think that to me is like part and parcel with why it's such a successful film, because they really are caring for humans. And so anyway, that was my little... <laughs> insight on the making of everything ever all at once they just seem like real amazing people and so i could see that when daniel was writing this film his his partners were probably like yeah go check it out he probably had a lot of support by the people around him to get the diagnosis and to talk about it because now he talks about it so anyway that's amazing you had flaked two episodes of Grey's Anatomy, so then I like made sure I promptly watched <laughs> them. Watch I jumped ahead a little. I thought they did a good job of, of talking about it in a not negative way. So I want to hear your take on it. Adams is a surgical resident um, who comes to this realization basically that he has ADHD and he only knew that because um, his attending had noticed traits in Adams. So he's attending Dr. Marsh because he has ADHD. So, well, this character is um, neurodivergent coded or they have ADHD or they might have this other form of neurodivergence and I thought that but I didn't want to like hold on to it but I just love it when it's mentioned that the character is neurodivergent and they and it specifies because it's like it puts that stamp of validity on it and so when they mentioned it in those two episodes and they spoke about ADHD traits and um, how you know Adams is an adult and he's gone undiagnosed for so long um it was like a really beautiful depiction and I think there's so much negativity around um adults now being diagnosed with ADHD that it needed to be shown in like a show like Grey's Anatomy um like how adults could be diagnosed or undiagnosed for so long but then get diagnosed in adulthood and just 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 it was just very different and I think well done and well written as well what were your takes I liked how um, you could see sort of Adams navigate the idea of like, wait a minute, what? What is he talking about? And then like coming back and being like, well, I did some research. <laughs> I'm like, I <laughs> yeah. all of these traits are things I have. There's a scene where Adams is like, how did my family, like they're all doctors. How did they miss this? How did they not yeah. catch this? And and they just think I'm a failure. And then him being like, well, like it just, it happens. It happens a lot. And, and then yeah. him being like, look, you can manager med you you got here you're gonna be great and like there's things about you and what you do which is what led you here and so you're not a failure you're a wonderful person and doctor and all these things so they kind of showed a little bit of that inner work of adam's sort of being like huh yeah what and then investigating (laughs) i like the fact that like the someone else in their life being able to recognize those things or like when i did my evaluation and then there's like 
a form that you also fill out. Like I had my conversation with my psychologist and then filling out this form. And then I had, I said to my husband, I want you to score me according to this form. I'm not going to tell you my answers. <laughs> I want you to tell me your answers. One of which he apologized. He's like, it's the, like, cause it was one out of six. He's like, it's six. And I was like, oh yeah, I put six too. <laughs> like, but we answered exactly the same numbers. He saw it. Yeah. And so like, so he knew exactly like what I was experiencing and like the traits that I had as well. And it was validating to have someone in your life, like encourage you to, to go down this journey to be there with you, but also to be like, yes, you are. I do recognize those things. So you're not alone in thinking like that. This is what's happening mm-hmm, to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Supportive husband. <laughs> yeah. Like my whole family's been very supportive. I remember my cousin saying, yeah, when you're young, you were a lot. And I usually get that a lot. You're a lot. <laughs> um, so I just want to go off of the back of what you said about how you're talking about how this this misperception about ADHD you were writing recently online about the BBC panoramic episode that came out that I just saw the the post about it before it came out. And I was like, this is going to be a whole bunch of bullshit. But I was curious. Yeah. Can you tell us, <laughs> the listeners, about what it was and what you thought about it? <laughs> yeah. BBC is like Britain's like main broadcaster. So it's as big as CNN and Fox, maybe even bigger. So it's like the equivalent. And so they have a, a show called Panorama where they there's usually a journalist that goes undercover to investigate. And now they investigate things like cartels, things to do with like drugs, crime, like like huge news, right? So the fact that they chose to do on an ADHD, it was just like, wow. Because usually when Panorama, they investigate something, there is something severely like wrong from what I, from the documentaries I've seen. So I think that initially sparked this massive uproar. It's just like, wow, you're putting ADHD diagnoses in the categories of the things that they tend to investigate. And so essentially, a journalist goes undercover to investigate um, the private clinics who issue ADHD diagnosis. So in the UK, we have a national healthcare service where um, it's free. It's a free national healthcare service. And so I was diagnosed by the, we call it the NHS. Um, I didn't have to pay for my assessment. However, because it's severely underfunded and under so much pressure, there is not enough psychiatrists to assess people who think they have ADHD. And the waiting list is now up to five years in some parts of the country. Absolutely ridiculous. So it took me a year and six months. So that means people are forced to having to go through private clinics to get assessed. And now, so again, my assessment was free. It took forever, but private clinics could cost up to like 600 to 2,000 pounds. Um, So it's a lot of money. So you're already like spending so much money to try and get get an assessment. And so nobody would just wake up one day and say, I've got a thousand pounds to spend here to because I think I have ADHD. Like, no, people have done the research and they're they're going through a lot. So, anyways, he goes undercover. Um, he goes to three different private clinics and then also the NHS to basically fake or cosplay as he has ADHD mm-hmm. um, just to show how easy it is to get an assessment. I think it's completely unethical because in one of the scenes, you're clicking certain ADHD traits. You're, the way you're responding is as if you have ADHD. So I felt like it was quite misleading. So three of the private clinics said he had ADHD. The NHS said he doesn't have ADHD. And so his, the way it was framed was as if 
um, they're just handing out um, ADHD diagnoses like it's Christmas. And he had said when they, they just prescribed him meds and they didn't do the due diligence, they didn't explain the risk of the meds to him. And so it was just framed really poorly. It didn't explain how, you know, why ADHD is missed in especially women, but even though like, especially ethnic minority women, um, he didn't explain the issues with the system. I thought he was going to like speak about at least how ex- the, the costs are just ridiculous. But no, it was, I felt like it demonized those pursuing an ADHD diagnosis. And mm-hmm. now my concern mm-hmm. is that people in the workplace or in schools will show their, you know, employers or p- teachers um, their ADHD diagnosis is from a private clinic. And they say, well, one not accepting this, um, or maybe you can't get this reasonable reasonable adjustment because you weren't diagnosed by the NHS. And someone had just emailed me that people are tweeting this as their concern. So, so that hopefully that paints um, the picture. But yeah, and I, I wrote about it. It's, yeah, it's absolutely, you know, bullshit mm-hmm. basically. Wow. No, it is. That sounds <laughs> awful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're stigmatizing something that people are are born with. And why do you want to go through that process if you didn't have it? Like it's yeah. ridiculous. Exactly. So going on from that, obviously, that's a common stigma that they're handing out ADHD diagnoses like candy and medication. Yeah. So what are some other common stigmas that you've experienced in relation to ADHD? So I think there's this perception like and it definitely rings true for some that people with ADHD they struggle so much like they can't you know we can't get a job we can't be in full-time employment um we don't have our heads screwed on and again it affects people like very differently especially depending on the environment you you grew up in and the support you have and I think there's a lot that isn't done about like on intersectionality so Mm. I'm a working Mm -hmm. class person and someone who is like an upper class person that has ADHD that has like a supportive like family that has money and access to a lot of support our struggles are going to be like very different and so I think people assume that there is this one size fits all approach with ADHD if they see someone with ADHD that's not doing so well well you're not doing that bad so you can't have ADHD or they see someone on TikTok who is living the greatest life, like very quirky, ADHD is my superpower, and then they assume it's that. So hmm. I think people just don't realize that ADHD manifests differently in so many different people, especially when it comes to like race, class, um, you know, different um, disadvantaged mm-hmm. groups. Yeah. And I think too that that it literally does, though, it present differently. Like it's a spider graph. Yeah. We are a spectrum disorder, just like autism is a spectrum disorder. It's different for everybody. And so I have friends who have ADHD and they were like, oh, how do you do this? And I'm like, I have hyperactivity. Like I have a hamster in my head that never stops running. <laughs> yeah. I feel like working constantly um, because I feel like I need to feed this thing. Whereas they're like, I can't work, I can't get back into, I can do that one draft of a script and I can't get back into it. And I was like, uh, I'm sorry, I can't help you. <laughs> Am I working on the wrong things sometimes? Yes, because it's like, we're an interest-based motivation. So it's like, oh, what's interesting me more right now or what's more urgent, whatever like the, the um, interest-based things are. It's just such a different thing. And people, I think, forget that it affects every single aspect of your entire life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure you've been a lot of press and I think recently on an E4 documentary, which is the better documentary yeah. to watch, I'm going to say, <laughs> talking about your experience with ADHD. So what is the impact of you being so open about your diagnosis? What have you found that people have shared with you about that? So I found like a lot of communities. So especially with, you know, 
black be like the black community there is still a lot of stigma to do with ADHD and I know like growing up I know a lot of people people's parents don't want to you know label their kids um you know we already I'm a first generation immigrant so it's just like we're told you have to work twice as hard you know um you're already going to be looked down on for like because due to like racism discrimination sexism and then having a disability on top of that you know it's like another barrier that you know parents and family don't want you to go through so when I started you know tweeting and being visible um I had a lot of men a lot of black men in my you know inboxes saying wow you know thank you for speaking about this and also women you know asking for advice on how to tell their parents about it and it's just giving them more confidence in themselves and their diagnosis and then I have like 40 40 plus 40 to 60 year old women talking about just being diagnosed with ADHD coming up to me at comic-con people in their workplaces starting up networks so it's been like absolutely massive and just for me just talking about myself I'm I always try to caveat like look this is about me I'm just chatting away um this is not my day (laughs) job I send a tweet when I'm walking to a meeting or to a different building and so yeah it's it's nice to see how much people I've I've, like positively impacted that's amazing thanks what would you like to see represented more on tv and film and in the media not exposés like Panorama, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. So I speak at this event called Comic-Con. Um, it's like a massive convention. So they have it in London. I've done it three times. And um, the last time we done it was, I think, last October. And we got moved to like a bigger stage because it's always so packed now. And it's just amazing the amount of people come out to hear us speak. Um, but usually what I say there is that I would like um, when people are like writing scripts and they write like a, a character that has ADHD. I'd like to see not so much coded characters just because I think there is power in the the label and mentioning it on screen, especially for the people watching who um, who are undiagnosed or think they might have ADHD or just for like a greater awareness piece to show that adults can have ADHD. So again, I think making it clear that the character does have ADHD and when they do... I'd like to see more um, of the Grey's Anatomy style representation rather than the representation that I've seen in the show called, um, what was it, The Fosters, where, you know, one of the kids had ADHD and the whole storyline um, was that he was on Adderall and his sister was stealing his Adderall and, to, you know, because she needed it. You know, there needs to kind of like be a balance. And I, I think that um, perpetuates negative stereotypes. Um, however, I definitely think it's important to show the person who has who has ADHD that, you know, it's severely impacting them, their school life, their home life, their family life. Um, maybe it could lead to like substance use disorder, which it does happen. So I think it's important to show all of the facets of ADHD, um, but just not to play up to the negative stereotype that people can't, you know, can't learn from, basically. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like all those suggestions. Yeah. And to see like the difference between masking and not masking, like yeah. where people feel really comfortable having people in their lives, creating better environments for them. Like I want to see too, like how are people advocating for themselves? I think sometimes you go from that undiagnosed space a lot, but, or a space where like a friend of mine said this recently, she's, she's autistic. And she said, when it's coded, people feel three-dimensional. But often when we are given a label, it's very stereotypical. Yeah. And so it's like that balance of, of saying we're still three-dimensional and different, but we can also have the name of what, 
what it is. It doesn't have to be coded as such. Like I looked at Wednesday and I'm like, she's really showing certain traits. And a lot of people talked about it, said, I think she's autistic. And it's like, but they never named it. And if they did, would that change what her character was? And that's really interesting. And I think that also says if your character has ADHD and they're labeled as ADHD in, in whatever show it is, like that's not the main part of their character, right? Like that is just part of their character, not yeah. the story of their character. And I think that's something that often happens exactly. where it's like, here is the character that is blank and they are just that disabled story yes. or whatever yeah. it is. Exactly. I wholeheartedly agree with like both of what you said. And I'm not sure if you've seen Miss Marvel. Um, but it's a yeah, Disney TV show. And um I when I watched it, I thought Kamala Khan, so the main character who is Miss <clears throat> Marvel had ADHD. Um, just because again, she's very creative, um, just very quirky, impulsive in like a good ways. And there was like a whole thread on Twitter about it. And the creator replied saying um, she doesn't, but she basically, she did tell us that she had ADHD, that the creator has ADHD. Mm. And then um, I done a video about it and she followed me and I was just like, oh, this is amazing. <gasps> Creative Miss Marvel, she's write, <laughs> written episodes for like Loki. And I'm like, I, love I absolutely it. love this. <laughs> I think it's, it's getting there. It's getting there. Yeah. And I think the more we see, I think people behind the scenes, you know, writing the scripts, directing these shows and movies, um, the more representation we'll see that um, it's kind of shows that the whole picture and, you know, different sides of, the, you know, the stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, one of the things that, you know, going off film and TV, I think one of the things that you talk a lot about, which I think can affect people who work in film and TV, um, you talk about the workplace. One of the biggest questions, what kind of accommodations can you do you ask for? What can employers do to help? Because I realize I just did things myself somehow, but I'm yeah. I'm still to this day never know, like, what should I ask for? What can I ask for? So I'm throwing it over to tell you us, tell to us. tell us all. <laughs> So if you're part of like a large organization um, and they have every group, they have like, you know, mental health groups, they have um, religious groups, so many different groups, um, but there is never a discussion on like neurodiversity. I as a person, will find, I, I know I feel very uncomfortable to say, hey, can I have this accommodation? I have ADHD because not seeing myself represented on like the you know company workspace or during any of these talks makes me think do they even know what ADHD is um am I going to get the support so I always tell large organizations they need there needs to be like a resource center if they have one online and then also um an employee resource group which I spoke to Ubisoft um and they do they have really stepped it up and do some things like that so okay work on that facilitating a network for those who are you know neurodivergent but then having someone senior in a company being involved in sponsoring it whether as an ally or someone who has who is neurodivergent because that really helps with the buying and then there's also like an awareness piece that comes from that so they need to ensure that managers employees are aware of you know um you know different neurodivergent um, conditions so it creates at least a safe space hopefully an inclusive environment for you know those employees that are diagnosed with ADHD or other conditions and then so then it comes down to accommodations and I find it to be like very specific to what you need and so you know one thing for me is that I, I used to work as a, a public servant. I quit my job last week um, and I've worked on things like procurement, contracts and policy. And what I find is that people would set arbitrary deadlines to get things out quickly. So you're working with other teams. And for me, it's just like 
no, I need enough time. So if there is a deadline, can you tell me, okay, we'd like it by this place, but you've got flex of two to three days so that I'm able to work off the back of that because I sometimes find it hard to like juggle things and maybe prioritize. Um, So it's telling people to just accommodate for that. And that doesn't just help me, it helps other teams and people to plan. When there's a lot of companies now have hot, a hot desk in policy, some people might benefit from, from having a fixed desk. The organization I worked in was that like massive, had hundreds of employees. And imagine like having to go to a meeting and taking your staff and then moving to another desk. It's so easy for myself with the ADHD brain to get flustered, to, to be stressed, to like get out of that state of workflow and move flow moving from A to B so again fixed desk might be useful for some people starting meetings five past the hour um so many you know different things and I tell people to you know speak to your manager um if you feel comfortable to because again everyone has a different workplace what works best for you I had a really good manager and I said you know when it's work to do that's very admin heavy and um it's to do with you know this type of set of work I would prefer to do something else because I work better at it. Can we divide the work in this way? Um, and she was like, yeah, sure, that works for me. So that was very specific to me. Um, but yeah, I think working with your manager, if you are able to, can can help help with that. But did you have any specific like, accommodations you were thinking of requesting? I don't think there's, there is a, a set list because, you know, you could think of something tomorrow that could help you and you can tell someone you're working with in like a studio and you're like, okay, look, I have ADHD. This is what I'd find more useful. Can, is there a way we can um, change this or change that? Yeah. I think it's interesting because I think um, in the work that I do, sometimes you're in a, a writer's room for long stretches of time without breaks. And so I need more breaks so that like, so I'm like, okay, make sure you have regular breaks or can we make the meetings, like you said, either start five minutes late or you actually end 10 minutes before so you can have time to like mentally switch. Like, so you have transition period because like transition is so important because otherwise you're transitioning in the middle of a meeting and you forget or you don't catch things. And I think for me, I don't like bright lights. I have sensory stuff. And so like sitting under like bright fluorescence and no like natural light, I find actually really difficult. Me too. Yeah. I'd work in a room and I would turn the lights to the very minimal lights and then I'd turn on like chill music and then do work that is I had to concentrate on. And people would come by and then go in, oh, do you want me to turn on the lights? I'm like, no, 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 no. This is how I want to work. <laughs> like fine. this is, please don't disturb me right now. Like this is why I'm doing this. And so I found that Sometimes it was hard to ask for like, yes, I'm out- outwardly extroverted. I have ADHD is what it is. Like, that's what it is. Because I'm this way from morning to night. There's no, on. there's no, it's just like, I'm either on or I'm off. And so yeah. um, having like a corner seat away from traffic of people when you live, when you work in open plan is actually better for me because I, less distraction, I'd wear earphones like this, even though I don't have music playing. So A, people don't come up to my desk. And then B, I hear less of the chatter. Um, but it is difficult because like you said, hot desking and open plan and like you're creating environment. I need better routine or I need flexible start, which I've always really had. And I think having bosses that are okay with that, but also understanding I need to write notes. That's how I stay a- attentive. And I had one time a boss and she was doing this as a coaching note. As you move up the ranks, taking notes feels very junior. So don't take notes. And I was like, no, no, I have to take notes because I can't remember. I can't remember because I'm not listening. I'm drifting. And so the writing is concrete. So you should go back to it. 
that is interesting about the lights. Actually, when I got diagnosed with ADHD and I was telling my psychiatrist about my migraines, he said he found that most of his patients struggle with migraines and also have ADHD, but they found that the ADHD medication helps with the migraines. I was like, okay, I'll stop my meds and let me just try it out. And it helped so much with my migraine. So I don't struggle with it as much. But um, I definitely agree with your point with bright lights. And um, that's something I wish I could have got in my organization. But it's a massive historic building. There's central lighting. Um, but what I could do is that they had a quiet room. So there are some. There were some parts in the office that's open plan, and I love sitting there because I like getting distracted, and it feeds my distraction, which isn't good for my work. And I, yes. you know, people are walking around, they're chatting, I'm getting involved. Um, yes. But I would just take myself to the quiet room on like a third floor, and um, but I was lucky enough to have a, an organisation that had one of those rooms, so I can sit and focus, and the lights weren't as as bright. Um, so there's going to be some things, unfortunately, that some organisations can't accommodate for. Um, which and for me it's like if there's central lighting then they can't call electrician but most of the things they should be able to accommodate for if it's a desk in the corner or having a fixed fixed desk in my opinion Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah I want to learn about these ADHD flashcards that you created and I want to know why you created them and how they've been received they're awesome thanks Heather you were like one of the first people that had all like pre-ordered I didn't know how much work it would take to like do it so um Okay, let me start from the beginning. So I got diagnosed with ADHD in 2020. This was just before like the pandemic lockdown hit. So the UK went into, I think, three or four lockdowns where it was shut down. You weren't allowed outside of your house unless it was for exercise. It was very strict, the very first lockdown. And when you're diagnosed by the NHS, you get um, monthly catch-ups with the psychiatrist for a year whilst you're going through the titration period. So I had two meetings face-to-face, two appointments face-to-face, and then... It hit March and then everything shut down. And I got a letter in a post from the clinic saying, you know, the ADHD clinic is shut down because of the pandemic, we'll be in touch. That was it. So all of my appointments gone. So I'm, yeah, two months into this diagnosis process, I think I'm on like 10 milligrams of meds and I couldn't change my medication because everything had shut down. So I was Googling, um, okay, ADHD, where can I learn or where, where can I find community? And so I was torn between like Reddit and Twitter. I had already been using Twitter for some time just in general and Reddit was just too chaotic for my brain. I started tweeting, but then I would research. There's a lot, there's lots of great information about ADHD, but for me, I found a lot of them were very, you know, factual, medical, very like formal. And there was a lot of it. Whereas for me, I just wanted to just read like someone's diary. And that's kind of like how the newsletter came along. I'm just going to be talking, doing these diary entries so that when I speak to my psychiatrist again, I can refer back to him and tell him this is how it was in this month, because I've literally been writing about it. And then I found like really nice compliment people like this is very helpful. There's lots of stuff on ADHD, but, you know, it's very hard to map things out. And there are most of the stuff you see are for kids. Um, So I was just like, okay, maybe if I like write a description of the traits and maybe like a causation. So why we could struggle with it and some examples for adults and then some coping strategies in the form of top tips, it could work. 
Um, and so I bought my iPad. I, I bought my iPad before that and I had this app called Procreate. And um, my sister is in med school, third year of med school. And she was always, she like writes on flashcards. So that's how she revises. And I was like, great, I'm definitely going to do flashcards. And I literally just from scratch designed it on my iPad, everything like from scratch. The color patterns were inspired by Grand Theft Auto Vice City case because I wanted it to be colorful. I love it. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's how it came about. I wanted people to kind of get the information in kind of like small chunks this is what this ADD trait means this is example in adulthood and here are some top tips you can use of course there is so much more to it but um I think this small amount of information in the flashcards you know could help people and that's how I you know created that and how has it been received the first release everything sold out um I was like oh my gosh it sold out but it's going to take the manufacturers like two months to bring it out um but yeah just the feedback has been amazing um like from people who have showed it to like their kids who have ADHD, people sharing it to like with their partners, their family, and lots of people have used them to kind of like understand themselves better and pursue an ADHD diagnosis and got it. And yeah, people still ordering them till today. So it's yeah, it's been amazing and so surprised as well. Oh, congratulations. That's so exciting. It's amazing. Thank you. I want to know as a sister to a sister, <laughs> ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would you what do you like from people in your life or your inner circle to know what do you want them to know about your ADHD and like how can they make the environments that you share better that's a good question so when I first held my sister so I've got two sisters I'm the middle child um they thought I just had well I thought I had middle child syndrome turns out it was ADHD <laughs> I'm a middle <laughs> child too <laughs> So when I told them I had ADHD, they're like, oh my gosh, um, we knew it. And I was just like, how? And they were like, when you speak, when they're speaking to me, I'm not, I'm paying attention, but I'm doing something. I can't just sit and speak to them. Like I daydream a lot. They've just noticed things and they used to get frustrated with me. And I didn't realize that what I was doing wasn't normal. I thought it was just me. Well, obviously, like it's different when you're like sisters, you're like bonded for life and there's patience and there's love there. But when it comes to friendships, it could cause like issues like a breakdown of communications and break up with friendships. And so I had I had that drifted away from quite a few friends um, that I had um, because I probably not get back to them soon enough or I would communicate in a way that was not what they deemed like normal. So they could send me a text and I could get back to them like two to three days late. And in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm sure they know I'm busy or I've, or I've seen them. I will get back to them. But not realizing that I need to communicate. So I at least give a holding response. And so I think when you have friends who have ADHD, um, I think it's on both of you to kind of communicate that. And if you know your friend has ADHD, maybe try to take that first step and reach out to them and ask, okay, so how can I support you? Or you've done something that made me feel bad. Let's talk about it rather than holding a grudge and just painting them as this bad person. And of course, I realize it's up to, it's also down to me as someone with ADHD to to better communicate which I'd say the meds has helped instrumental with because it's when I take it I feel very motivated and I remember things and I'm like trying to get to things um, a lot quicker and um, so it's patience communication um, and also grace. Is there any other thing that maybe we miss talking about that you want to share about your ADHD, especially maybe with relationships or I don't know, anything? Oh, I feel like you, we can talk about ADHD and, and everything. Um, but one question that like I get that I haven't put my finger on how to answer is um, people always ask me what's the best career for someone with ADHD. And I so 
I've been asked this question at like Comic-Con and Egypt, which is a gaming conference or when I speak at companies. And for me, I always tell people like, what do you like to do? Like, what are you actually interested in? Because as I think you said earlier on, they have ADHD is about, you know, interest and desire. So it's kind of like make a list of what you want to do. And also looking at job specs and seeing, okay, is this interesting? And I feel like a lot of the times you won't know until you actually do the job. And so I'm on, I've had like three different careers. I like to move around. I'm just someone who has a bucket list of jobs who that want that I want to try. And I'm okay with that. Um, of course, it's difficult difficult if, you know, people have different financial like issues. But um, I feel like it starts with interest, desire and trying things out. And there are just so many different roles. It, it really depends. But do you guys have like any like thoughts on like what the career question? I'm going to just reverse it and say from the other side, what I really would love for bosses or people who are employing people to have a better understanding that like I would move from the same thing, I'd move from job to job to job, but it was more because I would get into the job, it would be super interesting, and then it'd become very rote. Obviously, like I'm unhappy here, but I didn't really understand the unhappiness was really just, it's not stimulating me anymore. And so jobs that have stimulated me are ones that have been more like diverse in the types of things I get to do. I get to be creative. I get to like, you know, especially as a writer, I get to move from thing to thing. And even then though, I feel I work across multiple genres, across multiple mediums. So I do podcasts, I do features, I do television. And even then people are like, oh, why, like you're doing so much, like what is your box? And I'm like, if you have ADHD, there is no box. And that's the thing is like to not judge someone on that, but rather embrace that you're, by doing these different things, you bring so many skills to whatever job you do. And I think it's about having that understanding or to be able to go in and say, look, I'm going to need help with the thing, boring things. Like I'm going to need help with expenses. I'm going to need help with, with like really anything tedious is going to be more difficult for me. And then maybe it can, it can help you create an environment that allows you to have more variety in your work. Definitely whatever you're interested in. I think when I ended up my last job before I went completely freelance was at The Economist and I was a director of creative strategy. Oh, wow. So you were a big hat. She was a very big hat. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I got to work on a variety of things. I was always doing new proposals. I got to think of new ideas. I, you know, I got to learn how to communicate ideas to people who may not think like I think. And I also want to say to people with ADHD that that will never change because it's the way your brain works. And a lot of people are much more linear thinkers. They don't think in branching narrative. They don't think in branching thoughts. They think in one straight thought from A to B. And so finding how to learn how to show the work, as it were, like even though you can see the solution immediately, a lot of people can't. And it's frustrating, but I think to get rid of the frustration and go, no, I just have to communicate a little differently to people. Yeah. And then when I'm in my own space doing my own thing, I can jump around however I want. But to be able to communicate that will be key throughout your whole life. And to find jobs that allows you to have variety in the work that you do in the area of interest that you have. Because if I had to do the same, even as a writer, probably if I had to just, and I've done this before, have to write very monotonous things. It's it's so painful. And I think so it's learning that boundary being like, it's not a failing. It's just not ideal. And don't force yourself to do the not ideal things if you can help it. That's amazing. I just want to add to like, I think the idea that 
you had said, Rach, where you have a bucket list of careers you want to do. I think on a society level, if we can just like throw away the idea that we're going to do one thing for 25 years or 50, however many years and then retire. Yeah. Like, I think that trying to put anybody into the box of this is what you do forever is is not ideal for anyone in our society. So I feel like that's a big conversation about careers is that you don't have to do one thing forever that you can change and that's okay. Yeah. So have I have one more question for you because of course that like, you're a writer and all I do is write newsletters and I had so many offers to kind of like write a book about ADHD and I'm like I'm not like it's in an ideal world yes but I'm not going to sit there and write a book about ADHD. It sounds like such a chore. So what is like how do you get in the mood to write? Because I only write newsletters when I feel like it, um, which is why it's nice that it's a newsletter, but that's your profession. And I guess you have to write in a certain like format when you're writing for like TV and things like that. But is there something you do to kind of like get yourself in the mood for it? Or do you always feel like writing? Well, I don't, it's more about kind of what I have to prioritize. So sometimes I'll put writing off because other things are more urgent, which is unfortunate because I have to figure out how to to write more. I like to spread out my writing more if I can, because right now I get an idea and I get really excited and I obsess about it as I'm sure you have the same thing where you, it's in your mind always. And I'm always thinking about it. My husband's like, you're thinking about your script right now. Yes, I am. Like I'm always thinking about it. And it's about how do I find breaks from that? I think it is about finding routine is so important for people with ADHD, though it's the hardest thing for us to create for ourselves. So it's like um, what I started doing, and it was so brilliant. There's a woman who would do 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. writing sessions. And so it's body doubling, which is important. It creates routine, which is important. And it, it puts something in your calendar that you need to to attend to. Or like what my therapist said is break things down of like, I need to write one scene or one page or one paragraph, whatever it is, that's the goal for the day. And so if you, you create like, when am I most optimal? For me, it's going to be in the morning now. Um, the night was always a time that I would write because it had the least distraction. But realistically my brain is probably more able to make mistakes. So I'm like, write at night, edit in the morning. But I think just writing in the morning can be helpful. I'm a, really bad with, um, I skip words. I'm, you know, I'm a writer, but I skip words. I, um, I can't spell. So like I was learning ASL and finger spelling is like a nightmare because I can't understand it. It takes me so long to like figure out what someone's actually spelling because I'm so bad at spelling. And thank goodness for spell check. But what I start to do, which could be helpful, is that I will like write in at my desk here. Then I will print something off and edit in at my chair by the window. Or I'll go to a cafe or I'll go downstairs to the kitchen table. I change my environment to create novelty. And it's really helpful for me to continue writing when I'm feeling restless and I feel like then I just move somewhere else. And so I think that can be helpful with writing is to say, I don't wait for inspiration to strike. I'm like, this is the time to do this work. Just like you do any work. I hate doing it, but to help myself before I send anything out, I listen to my writing. So I have my computer read back my writing. It helps me catch mistakes. It helps me see it in a different way. So those are like techniques that I've started to do to help me 
create novelty in something that might be repetitive, you know, to create a space where I can try to eliminate as many mistakes as possible, because that's very frustrating for me when I see mistakes. And like, just try to create something that's a routine that gives me, yes, there's extra steps, but it allows me to feel like I'm giving a complete project in a way that isn't painful. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. And sometimes it's painful. Like I've had to have, like you have a deadline and you have to hit those deadlines. And I think one of the things that I've found now and I is, and I encourage is sometimes I'm like in my work, a lot of people are like, do it till you, f- it feels right. And I'm it like, never no. feels right. <laughs> when is it due? When, like, yeah, when do you exactly. expect it? When is the deadline? <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, what is a deadline? And then I'm like, can I actually do that? What else do I have that I'm doing? Do I have the time? Could it be one day later? Like I make sure I put a deadline in place. I ask for exactly like, what are you expecting? Because I will always do too much because I assume that I'm never doing enough work. Like I think it's never enough and never right. So I'm like, I try to give extra, extra explanation, extra whatever. And sometimes that's not helpful for people. It's too much. It's overwhelming. So like, what is expected? A two-page document, a five-page document, a 30-page script. Like, what are you looking for? And I think that's communication. And since I've been doing those things, I have better working relationships. So again, those are like kind of part of my process is so then I can like prioritize the writing work as well. Heather, you need to do like a, a writing course. <laughs> I feel like for ADHD. Yeah, I think so. This is very informative. Yeah. It was so many gems. Yes. So we'll, uh, yeah, make sure that we <laughs> share that. There'll be like an extra TikTok, Heather, what at writing ADHD writing 101. Before we, we let you go, wh- wh- what kind of resources would you recommend our listeners to engage in? What, we would say you for sure. But what else has helped you with your ADHD? So for me, podcasts. Um, so I like listening to podcasts when I'd like um, on the way to work or just on the way to somewhere um, because it helps me. I think especially podcasts with like interviews because I'm able to get an insight into somebody else's world with ADHD. And um, especially when you look at the description and you find out they're like a mechanic or they're a painter. And if you're in that um, industry or you're interested in it, you can listen to them and you're like, oh, okay, that person has ADHD in that industry and I can relate to them. And if they can do it, I can do it. So I find it very informative and inspirational. So podcasts for me is really massive. Of course, you have, you know, how to ADHD on YouTube. But I think for me, the biggest resource, and it's not so much a resource, but community. And for me, Twitter has been one of the best places. Um, you can use the hashtag AskADHD. Um, it's a bot. It will retweet this. And um, it's a good place to connect with other ADHDers and just to ask general questions and that someone is likely to pick up. Um, so, yeah, having a sense of community to know you're not alone and to also kind of like learn from, I think, has been like super helpful for me. Amazing. Now, where can people find you on the old internet? Okay, so on Twitter and Instagram is adultingADHD. My newsletter is adultingadhd.substack.com and I will be having a YouTube channel. So you've heard it first. <gasps> uh, coming to YouTube. <laughs> Amazing. Well, well, we'll link to all that stuff in our show notes. Um, it's been a real joy chatting with you and getting another insight on ADHD in my world. I just want to say thank you so much. I've been following you. I saw the flashcards. I thought they were so cool. I'm so glad I got to support you. And then I was just like, I've been following you along. And I was like, I hope she wants to join us to talk about this. And you did. And I was so excited. So I was waiting for you. (laughs) 
<laughs> like I saw it and I was like okay she has a podcast I'm like should I ask she can ask and now I'm like so happy to be here like a hundred percent I've seen it I'm like is she gonna ask me <laughs> I love it uh, it's so funny because like every a lot of people were like when are you going to talk about ADHD and I'm like I'm just I'm waiting for the right time I, I don't know I just like I was waiting for the right time and this was the right time and uh, I'm glad that it was the right time with you too I'm honored well thank you so much for your time today and uh, and we'll see you on the interwebs <laughs> thank you guys so Heather how did it feel to talk about ADHD with another ADHD Er. I was going to say ADHD, but I didn't know if that was like cool. It's cool. It, it cool. <laughs> it cool. It cool. When you talk to people, especially because we both have combined type, a lot of the things that she's saying are things that I experience. There's a lot of relatability there where it's like not everyone has. It's so interesting because like the hyperactivity and impulsivity really changes up things. But it's interesting too. Like I didn't really get up and wander around class. I say that, but I would. <laughs> In high school, math. I had a really good math teacher and then I had a math teacher that was so boring and really everything was really drawn out. I would leave class to go to the bathroom, quote unquote, and then I'd go to the guitar class in the music room and hang out with him for like 20 minutes. <laughs> so the fact that I'm, I'm always like, I never wanted to. Oh, wait. I, yeah, yeah I would left leave, I'd literally leave the entire <laughs> classroom and not come back for 20 minutes. I'm like, mm, I, I got stomach issues. No, I was, I was bored. <laughs> so I think there's things where I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe I did do that. I just... I just exited the room. And so, and, and actually impacted me because it affected the, all the math that I should have learned, some of which I missed because I was not physically there or because they were so slow in how they taught math that I would tune out. Mm -hmm. And so I wouldn't know what was going on. Mm. And that's what happens with this brain of ours. How did that work? For, like when you got them? I, I mean, I will say that I haven't really used them a lot, but it was really, they were really cool. Like just to see them in a way that was so easy to understand, like, and was simplified in a way that you could share them with someone that's important in your life. I think the time that I got them, like, I didn't really have anyone. I'm like, hey, here, take a look at these cards. But I loved supporting them mm -hmm. and understood their use for other people. I just haven't been able to use them in that way, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. But if there was someone that I'm like, hey, here's something that can really help you. Um, I think it's interesting because um, like John and I were joking about, there's this thing that I read that's like your craft beer is the animal. The name of your craft beer is the animal that you're most scared of and the trait that would like eventually lead to your demise from your partner or something like that. <laughs> interesting. And not demise, but not demise. That's a little but dark, yeah. but like that will lead to the most problems. Yeah. And so um, mine, my animal was... Uh, hungry piranha, even though they're not animals, they're fish, but hungry piranha, you know, from 80s horror movies, yeah. 90s horror movies and all the horror movies. Basically, um, even Wednesday. Wednesday had them. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah, hungry piranhas. Um, and then I asked John, what would the thing be? He's like, you don't listen to me. <laughs> and I was like, I have ADHD. And he's like, so we talked, he went back and forth. And I said, you know, this is, the, he's like, this wasn't a discussion that we're having. This is just something for the name, just telling you. <laughs> and I was like, uh, maybe we got to keep working on like, like my community. Like, but sometimes it's on me where I'm like, I, I should say, hey, and I've done this a couple of times where I'm like, I don't want to talk right now about this or, or this is, I've said this once, this is boring for me. <laughs> Which is not so the best I'm, way. No, I it's know, not the best but way. it was, it can be a lot. And like, I, I'm, I can't be someone that you just start, you just start talking at 
I won't catch the first half. And it can be frustrating because then you have to repeat yourself. And it's a constant thing because for me, like I said, I say this, it doesn't always work, but I'm like, hey, just like touch my arm. Like, let me know that you want to talk. And then I'll take, give me a second and I'll transition from what I'm doing. But again, like if I'm in my laptop, I'm not listening to you. Yeah. So you have to like give me a moment to transition or just say, hey, can you talk for a second? Or, but it's, yeah, it's hard because you don't, always think about that when you're like oh i saw that i read this thing isn't this cool and you're like uh sorry what i heard isn't this cool and they're like oh okay here it is and i know i felt the same way where i've i've said things and had not a partner not here Mm -hmm. but i literally did not hear i can't yeah i i missed the first half or i have what's called um like i'll hear the wrong words yes sometimes and it takes me a while to be like okay i i know this doesn't make sense so the words are something else i need you to either repeat repeat it or tell me in a different way yeah. so I can figure out what the word yeah. is that you're saying because my brain isn't calculating the word in the correct way. It's interesting as your sister, I definitely, and this is even prior to to officially knowing, well, even before I knew what ADHD was, there was just, I could tell when you were not there. Like, yeah. so like I would know that you're not, you're not listening. So either I would stop or I'd get mad, <laughs> but like you could tell, I could tell your body language like you just it's just different and so like i could clock those yeah. things before i even knew that that was connected to your brain john knows when i'm not even on a phone call like when i'm on a phone call he's not even seeing me he, he knows oh, I, can, I, I knew attention i do too yeah i know <laughs> uh i think i'm like being tricky no you're not being tricky <laughs> at all and it's fine and i catch myself doing well this is an insider insider baseball inside baseball yeah. inside baseball heather in the past when we were young younger she lived in london so she'd call me and she'd just be excited about something, which now I understand differently. But she would just like rattle off all the exciting things and I would just sit there <laughs> and listen to all the things. And then, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but sometimes I would drift off and it wouldn't necessarily ma- matter really. Cause I, but now I understand that you needed to verbally process stuff, which is why that's important. And I would be part mm-hmm. of it. But I do remember in the past getting really mad and frustrated because you wouldn't ask me how my day was or what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And, I'm practicing. And no, that. you're very no, you've really shifted your and I have more awareness. So it doesn't it doesn't I now know it's not because you don't care about me, but like when I was younger and unaware, and you were also unaware, uh, you were aware of your brain, obviously, but like yes. we didn't know what was ha- I didn't know what was happening. I just thought you didn't want to know about me, that you didn't care, but that's totally not yeah. true. And so if anybody out there is living with a, a family member who has ADHD and that is your feeling, like it's not that they don't care. They care deeply about yeah. you, very deeply about you. And that's why they're calling you to tell you all the things. Yeah. I also have this thing where it's like, this is what's hard is that. I sometimes don't reach out to people not because I'm not, well, probably because I'm not thinking about them, but not because I don't care about Mm -hmm. them. And then when I see them in a feed, I'll reach out and be like, oh, hey, blah, 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 blah. And like at any platform, like I don't have like a, I'm just texting someone. I will message people on whatever platform I'm on so that I message them. Yeah. And I know that for some people... I've heard this from people like, oh, if someone doesn't reach out enough to me, then I know they don't like me. Therefore, I'll stop talking to them. And I'm like, actually, that's really you're not really thinking about people different. No, I was say very ableist, really. It is. Yeah. So like I know there's people that I'm definitely probably in my life who've, um, oh, like Heather doesn't reach out enough or I reached out this time and they didn't reach out the back. So therefore keeping a tally keeping a tally. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what, if that is how you're going to be, then we can't, then maybe we're not friends because I don't, it's never deliberate. And I work really hard on trying to put things in my diary of like, reach out to this person, do like this thing. Like I try my best because I work sometimes other places, like being conscious of like, oh, I have to reach out to this person. 
And there's times when I've not been able to, I know I won't have enough time and I don't want to hurt someone's feelings and I don't reach out. And then they find out later and they're like, oh, you didn't reach out to me. I'm like, look, I didn't have any more time and it wasn't because of you. It was because I was working. And so it's just really, I find it difficult because I'm always trying to manage that expectation and for a long time. And there are things that you have to be mindful of, like these are your friends and like you need to spend, you know, spend time with your friends. But the friends that I have stayed good friends with are friends that are understanding that we're not going to see each other every day, but we're going to be great friends when we're together. And that's not just because of my ADHD, it's because I, I'm in different countries, but that I'm I'm never deliberately not connecting with someone. FYI, anyone of my friends <laughs> listening to this, if I haven't messaged you, it's not because I don't love you. It's exactly. because I got caught up in something and please reach out again. Yeah. So anyone who's like curious, if you listen to this and feel like, oh, this could be something like me, please like, you know, there's lots of research online. Again, a lot. It's around kids. Follow the stuff that Rach is doing, but also there's a really good doctor named Russell Barkley, who I really love. He's been researching ADHD since the 70s. His brother had ADHD and unfortunately passed away with impulsivity. Sometimes that can include things like dying by suicide. And so that's what happened. And he really dedicated his life to studying ADHD and to try to, in some cases, educate people who don't have ADHD to understand the impact of ADHD. Because a lot of people are like, just like we talked about how there's jokes about diabetes, there's tons of jokes about ADHD, like, oh, I'm just a little ADHD Mm -hmm. or I'm a little this and all that. Oh, I do that too. I feel that way too. Like, what's the big deal? And then you have to explain to someone how debilitating some of the things can be when you have a deficiency in your brain. And though people want to say, oh, but it's my superpower, it's a neurodevelopmental disorder. Mm -hmm. And guess what? That's not a dirty word. It's a disability, not a dirty word. Mm -hmm. This is what it is. And it's totally cool. And we should be naming it. We should name it in characters that we're seeing. We should name it ourselves. So people go, oh, yes, this thing is a disability. It impacts every single part of my life from we just said now relationships with your family, with your friends, um, the way that you do work, your relationship with food and Mm -hmm. exercise and health, Mm -hmm. like the fact that people sometimes forget uh, your financial health, like all of those things are impacted by um, executive function disorders affects everything. We trivialize it a lot. And I think we need, by having these conversations, we can start to realize like actually how impactful everything can be. And that with just a little more patience, I love what Rach said about um, patience, communication, and grace. And I'm like, that's exactly it. So let's take it, leave it there and say, thank you for listening to today's episode of Brains. Brains is hosted and produced by Heather and Sarah Taylor, mixed and mastered by Tony Bao. Our theme song is by our little brother, Defish, who has a new single out. So go listen. And our graphics were created by Perpetual Notion. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us and tell your friends to tune in. You can reach us on Instagram, TikTok, or Twitter at Brains Podcast, spelled B-R-A-A-I-N-S podcast. You can also go to our website, brainspodcast.com, where you can contact us, subscribe, and find out a little more about who we are and what we do. Until next time, I'm your host, Heather. And I'm your host, Sarah. Bye. Bye.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.